This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 153 of the Healthy Critters Radio on Horse Radio Network. Healthy Critters Radio is brought to you by Biostar US. Find them online at biostarus.com. On today's show, we sit down with Gloria Garland, a licensed acupuncturist and Chinese herbalist. The critter of the show is the bald eagle part two, and in critter nutrition, we learn about a spore-based probiotic. Listen in. And I'm Patty. And this is Coach Jen, producer of this year's circus. Thanks for joining us again. Tigger, chief cook and bottle washer and mad scientist at Biostar US. Former at your service. At your service, former dressage competitor. You also evented too, didn't you? I did. There you go. So you were you were eventing in the wild and woolly run fast, jump high, fall hard era. Seventies, yes. I started as a kid in pony hunters. And that that wasn't crazy enough for you. <laughs> yeah. What yeah. made what made you want to try eventing? Because in the seventies, eventing was about as a, about as obscure as ski joring is today. Well, not really, because we had the world championships in Lexington. It, I'm sorry. In the greater scheme of things, it was an obscure sport. <laughs> yes, that's true. <laughs> Um, I, I liked, I liked the idea of the versatility, um, and I loved cross country. I thought that was a blast. Um, I, I wasn't as crazy about stadium jumping, but I really liked cross country. I mean, I didn't do it at the advanced level, God knows, but, you know, at the time we had pre-training and training and prelim and, um, I mean, you had to be a pretty gutsy forward, you know, rider no question but i don't know you weren't judged like the dressage ring and you know you just you went out for a nice canter and <laughs> jumped some fences and into water and way <laughs> it was fun i thought it was i thought it was really fun there you go so patty i'm yeah. gonna ask you were you always a dressage gal or did you start out in a different discipline uh no and I know, Jen, you don't know me, but you know me well enough to realize that I, my, the fact that I got into dressage is kind of funny because <laughs> I am not um, the type of person that is, um, I mean, I'm organized some things in my life, but like to me, I was just more balls to the walls type of thing. Um, I started off in everything that you could do riding. Um, but I was convinced that if I was ever going to do anything big in the sport, it was going to be eventing. Um, I, uh, but I, I, you know, I don't know about you, Tigger, but I, I just didn't, I really didn't, I never had a good event horse. Um, I, but what made me really go towards dressage was that every time I would event, I would win the dressage and still, um, place really low. <laughs> like I never won. <laughs> well, again, everything else- that was the era when when nobody the dressage was not as important. As a matter of fact, they had all these fancy mathematic 
flaming hoops they had to jump through to make dressage count for more because the dressage was so poor early on in the United yeah. States. So that's interesting. So you also started out in eventing and mm-hmm. then decided that, hmm, I've got a knack for this dressage thing. Well, it was one of my many things. And, and quite honestly, it was a statement. I, I did um, a little bit of hunter jumper. I did Western. Um, I, pl- I was, I did train polo ponies. I like, I did, I just wanted to be around. I did everything I could think of. Eventing seemed like fun to me because it was, yeah, I, I got into it when I went to college, but, um, <laughs> once I, um, I got married and I, my, my new husband <laughs> to an event at Flora Lee and I was on my horse, Bobby, Robert E. Lee, someone that, you know, that I had bought and, um, and won the dressage and then did cross country. I think I screamed most of the way. I'm not sure. Um, stadium was so horrible. Like after I got done, we got in the truck and, you know, of course I'm just like, okay, well that was just, you know, another day of, you know, being at a horse show. And my husband looked at me and goes, yeah, I'm not doing that anymore. You're, you're not jumping. <laughs> that was ugly. We're not doing that. No, no. And I, and there was a part of me that was like, Oh, phew, finally somebody, you know, recognized it. So that's really why I stopped doing it. But, were yeah, you a train, I, you were yeah. a train wreck waiting to happen? I think I yeah. had the highest penalty points in a dressage <laughs> test ever recorded. <laughs> oh wow, a hundred and eighty! Oh my gosh! Oh, that's epic. the horse ran away with me in the dressage test. Oh, that's okay. and then I I it, in order to control him, I did my twenty meter circles on the wrong lead, and so oh, the judge gosh. gave me a zero. <laughs> Oh my yeah. gosh. They don't do that. Yeah. So, okay. um, in I dressage, I despise. I thought it was hard torture. Oh and look yeah. what happened. So, there you go. There you go. Well, I, it was fun to, to learn a little bit about your equestrian roots, ladies, and uh, how you became the well rounded women you are today. And speaking of well rounded, with uh, great careers, we're going to have a chat with Gloria Garland. So let's get her on. I can't wait. And here we are in our uh, interview section of Healthy Critters Radio. And I am so pleased and honored to have my friend Gloria Garland on. Gloria was introduced to me um, several years ago by a, a body worker um, who does equine sports massage. And it's one of the greatest gifts she ever gave me was giving me Gloria's phone number. Um, Gloria is a Chinese herbalist and licensed acupuncturist. She lives in California. She has been a great resource for me um, helping horses when I come to a very complicated case that isn't just responding to, to diet and my recommendations. So... Um, for all the listeners, I, I tell you, this woman is, is a light and I'm just thrilled to have her here. So, so thank you, Gloria. Oh, thank you so much for having me on. Um, I, I know that a lot of people hear the term traditional Chinese medicine or traditional oriental medicine and may not understand some of the basic principles it's it's a complicated in a way um approach to healing if you could break it down uh into sort of horse and dog speak 
Okay. <laughs> um, and maybe we'll then get into the the five elements and and how animals may fit into a, a specific element or an imbalanced element. Okay. Well, gosh, um, I hope we have enough time because Chinese medicine is is long and uh, long and complicated sometimes, but yet and not really. There's a lot of very lovely, simple, modular ways to think about and approach health problems. And we use descriptors like, you know, the five elements or Zong Fu. Um, those kinds of things um, are, are nice kind of categories that we can overlay on health problems. And uh, so many of these blend rather nicely with Western medicine. So if you have a Western medicine diagnosis, you can very frequently overlay a Chinese medicine way of thinking about it, and that gives you an extra set of tools to deal with a problem. And um, sometimes the, the more you, you know, the more you can kind of break it down into modules and pieces, it's like divide and conquer. Mm-hmm. And then you can, when you have smaller pieces, you can break them down and nibble them apart a little bit and understand them a little better. And that helps guide you in your treatment plans as well. Um, there's there's also a connectivity and and being Ayurvedically trained that you know there's such a symbiosis between traditional Chinese medicine and, and Ayurveda um, of this connection that one imbalance isn't just an isolated incidence. It, uh, other body systems uh, may have a corresponding response. Right. There's like that trickle-down effect. You know, yeah. if one is out of whack, well, then the next one starts to get challenged. Wobbly. <laughs> right, right. And then, so you have to kind of trace backwards and say, okay, let's peel back the, the onion layers here a little bit and get to the base of the problem. And, and that helps guide your thinking with herbs and acupuncture. And I'm sure, you know, I know Ayurvedic medicine has their categorical ways of thinking about mm-hmm. it that help down the problem as well. I think, I think they're cousins, you know, I think they're Oh, for they're, sure. They're, for sure. And they wait at each other all the time and go, oh, hey, how are you doing over there? You know, <laughs> and, and they like to share information and say, oh, hey, have you checked out this herb? Have you considered this concept? You know, so it's, it's, um. There's a lot of nice sharing, even though they're from, you know, slightly different continents. They're, yes. They're, they commingle. Oh, for and, sure. Uh, so how um, the, the five elements, um, there have been some books um, in the horse industry about, you know, is your horse a metal horse and what's a wood horse and what's a water horse? Can you break down the elements and sort of give us an overview of how they might apply to our dogs or our horses? Sure. You know, we, we call them the five elements. Um, and if we think about them in terms of like Zong Fu diagnosis, mm-hmm. uh, we have paired organs that go along with our five elements. So that helps give us an indicator of, you know, concepts around disease. Um, and you can apply the five elements perspective to so many things, just about everything on the planet, to the seasons, to disease, to organs, to foods, um, personality traits, disease processes, things like that. Um, So 
ask me, ask me again, because I lost my train of thought there for just half a second. <laughs> <laughs> no, no problem. That, that's the Wellington brain drain. That's what Patty and I call it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, oh, and how they apply to disease and 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 typing. Yes. Um, we, you know, here in the West, we like to be very um, cut and dried, kind of categorical, and we'll mm-hmm. say, "Oh, that's saddle horse," or "Oh, that's a fire horse." In Chinese thinking, most horses, when you think about a horse in the bigger picture of things, they're kind of a fire animal, anyways, mm-hmm. because they're energetic. They're always moving. They're, you know, they're looking, they're moving, they're flicking their tails, they're flicking their ears, they're on the go all the time. They're more of a fire-like creature if we were applying five elements to the overall creature category, as opposed to, say, a cow, which is probably more, a little more earthy. They're a little more laid back, you know, they're a little more slow going. They're all about digesting and chewing and Uh that sort of but if, if you kind of keep your mind open and think about things sometimes as degrees, I like to call it like the dimmer switch principle. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you, can either, you can either turn the light on or off. It's either on or it's off. Or you have a dimmer switch on your light and you have 20% lightness and 80% darkness. You know, so, so, so our horses generally have maybe a constitutional type. Mm-hmm. And either earth, metal, fire, water, woodness, but they they can express different aspects of of the five elements, either manifesting from like disease or um, a moment in time, like emotions. Say, for example, your horse is who's normally just a go easy to town kind of guy, and he's laid back, and he might be a little stocky and a little bit of a grass tummy you go out in the springtime which is the wood season and he's spooking at every dandelion and fence post and he's snorting and spinning around and you're thinking holy moly what happened to my horse you know he's expressing his woodness in that moment um so you know that's maybe his earth element is uh his wood element is maybe a little bit more excess in that moment but it's the springtime, and the spring is the season of wood with the little green grasses with their energy moving upward and outward and expanding. So your horse is kind of feeling that and getting a feel for upward motion. So he's up on his toes, and he's spinning around, and he's, <laughs> he's feeling it. So, you know, his wood was a little bit active that day. You know? So you can be a, tip, you can be a type. But you can also express all the other elements at different times. So it and here's like that fun categorization of things. So we're never static in any one moment, mm-hmm. but we can be, you know, expressing our fire element and being in happiness and joy, or we can be down in the dumps and really sad and grieving, and our metal element is really coming up right then you know so maybe you've had a death in the family um you know because you know the metal element is lung large intestine it's also about the autumn it's also about autumn is when things start to pass you know the plants in the field or they've been harvested they're getting a little dry 
things are starting to need to be composted. We're heading into winter. It's kind of the death of the year, the death of the season. But yet it's also around grief and sadness. So there's so many fun ways you can apply and play with the five elements, too. And we haven't even talked about, like, disease yet. This is just, like, the emotional aspects of things. Right. So... So anybody, you know, anybody's horse can be anything, any day at any week. one time. Right, right. And um, we have a little joke in my office that, you know, if we're having a grumpy day or if we had a particularly difficult phone call or something, you know, I'll say to the girls in the office, oh, my wood is really feeling it right now. <laughs> <laughs> and we all laugh because we get what that means is that oh, I'm a little grumpy right at this moment, or I'm a little angry right now, but I'm feeling it. So, you know, this, we play with Chinese medicine concepts all the time as a little inside joke, a little giggle. <laughs> Do you, um, when you're, you know, you're helping to work with veterinarians in in their Western medicine, um, are you in your mind applying the five elements? Um, five elements is one component that I do like to um, talk about with patients. And I have a, a little worksheet with some questions that I have horse owners or pet owners fill out. And I ask little questions about, oh, do they excessively worry? Do they have digestive concerns? Are they, are they prone to irritability or anger? Are they prone to fear? Do they eat too much? Do they have weak hind ends? Do they have weak backs? Um, fertility issues? And all of those questions put me in a wood, water, fire, metal, you know, categorization. Mm-hmm. And then from, that's five elements. So, and then from there, we can kind of hone it down into organ systems a little bit. So it's a refinement tool. And we're back into that modular way of thinking and applying something to a problem. So definitely use that as one of my tools for assessment. How do you think um, Chinese medicine and Eastern medicine um, is an important tool as a part of an integrated approach to health? Oh, I'd love to say... It's one more tool in the the toolbox. And sometimes, you know, you need to pick up, you know, you can't, you can't build a house with only a wrench, but if you've got a hammer and a sawzall and a triangle and a, you know, another tool like a drill, suddenly it all starts coming together because you've got so many tools to apply and you get a better outcome. Um, and sometimes Chinese medicine is very synergistic and can actually enhance things. Mm-hmm. So there are some therapies some uh, that can be actually be enhanced by Chinese medicine. Like I do a lot of work with um, people doing chemotherapy. And rather than, you know, patients having to rely just strictly on like uh, composine or some of the anti-emetic medications, uh-huh. they in the day before they get their chemo infusions and they come in the day after and we can really help dial down the nausea and the fatigue and the vomiting and you know all wow. the naughty go along with that 
And, you know, some people are just really exhausted, you know, you know, while they're going through chemo. So it really helps them. And I sometimes I'll put in their needles and they'll just check out for a while and just really get into a really deep, a really deep sleep too, which is, I think their bodies just are needing the chance to deal with the chemo and to heal themselves a bit. There's even some herbs that we can, that are synergistic with certain medications that help uh, pharmaceuticals actually work better too. So that's another aspect of Chinese medicine, the herbal component. Mm-hmm. So there are, we have to be careful because not every drug uh, can commingle with um, a pharmaceutical, but there are some that are really, they enhance the effects of each other. So that's a really nice um, helping aspect of Chinese medicine, helping Western medicine too. How often or how frequently do you use the adaptogens, the ginsengs, the ashwagandhas, the mushrooms? Oh, my gosh. That's such a wonderful area of herbal medicine. And Mm -hmm. we're understanding more and more. And I'm loving, you know, that's how Western medicine kind of and Eastern medicine kind of commingle. I think Western sciences are helping us understand. A hundred percent. Yep. Work. Yeah. How these actually work better. Yeah. And so dancing on knowledge base in an incredible way, um, you know, commingling two sciences, two practices. Um, I use a lot of Chinese mushrooms, um, immunity building, anti-tumor, anti-cancer, there's some fantastic mushrooms that, you know, help enhance cancer survival rates by like 75%. Whoa. Uh, yeah. And they're, they're a nice tonic formula too. So, you know, and right now with COVID and things like that, um, mushrooms are part of my own little program for enhancing immunity. And so I've got that in my, I have a COVID, well, I can't say the C word, but I have a <laughs> <laughs> a lung immunity formula that we make. <laughs> wow. Not only enhances lung, lung yin and lung function, but it has a fair number of mushrooms in it to also help with immunity. And if we think about, if we categorize that in Chinese medicine, the lung system, the metal element, has an awful lot to do with immunity. So, what, you know, so here we are kind of coming full circle again. Mm-hmm. And I like to use the, like the ginseng, there's so many different types of ginseng. Some are heating, some are more medium, some are cool, some are very yin oriented and some are very yang oriented. So we we really know how, have to know how to apply the particular ginseng. But if you've got a very yang deficient animal or human who is, Kidney chi is weak, which would be our water element from the five element perspective. Um, if they're run down, if they're elderly, if you know, if you're recovering from an illness, um, a slightly more warming ginseng I think would be fabulous for that. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the horses that we work with that have gone through um, multiple rounds of protozil and the marquee type. Yep. 
if we're if we categorize those drugs from a Chinese medicine perspective, they're they're very cold and they're very descending, and they they cool down the kidney chi too much, and they which would be our water element from yeah. five elements. They also really are cold and hard on the earth element, and that's that's our stomach spleen capacity channel. And so really it's nice to kind of warm those systems back up again with those adaptogenic and warming herbs, like a a warmer form of ginseng. And there's a few other herbs that kind of can help with that too. So that's applying like a a warmer adaptogenic herb to like a, an area that's been a little bit, um, I don't want to say attacked, but it's, it's been exposed to so much cold, hard therapies that we need mm-hmm. to kind of help jumpstart those systems again. And um, when you think about the earth element, the earth element's all about digestion and creating chi from the food sources that you take in. And the kidney is like the battery or the pilot light under your gas stove. And when that pilot light goes out or it's too low, I mean, there's nothing that kicks those burners back on. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, you know, we got to get in there with the big lighter and light the pilot light again so that sometimes the adaptogenics are, are the source for relighting or recharging that battery a bit and enhancing that water element again and the earth element too. How would you, uh, in, in very easy to understand terms, describe yin yang? Oh golly, listeners! Um, books, books have been written about the yin and yang. Um, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> it, it, uh, there's a couple of fabulous books if people, you know, want to do a deeper dive. Uh, there's a book called Between Heaven and Earth that I think is uh, I can't remember the author right off the top of my head, um, but they do a very nice, basic introduction and conversation around the yin and the yang within and oh gosh let's see how how let me put it in like as mm, user-friendly terms as possible yes. so <laughs> there's uh yin comes up from earth as they say in chinese and yang comes down from heaven and the two of them hold each other and if you think about that as a visual, like two hands grasping, it's a bit like that yin and yang symbol that we see, the Taiji symbol. And the when the when the yin and the yang are holding each other, when they're holding hands, so to speak, um, you have life. And when those two let go, when they cease to hold each other or support each other, you have the ending of life. Life cease, ceases to exist. But there's a matter of degrees where, you know, maybe you're only holding on with two fingers. So you're still viable, but you're not as strongly balanced as one could be. So it's this constant interaction between the yin and the yang that holds life in place. I hope that doesn't sound too esoteric. but um, No, I love it. Oh, good, good, okay. <laughs> I always thought it was the male and female energies. Well, yang is considered more male and yin is more female. But every male has yin and every uh, and the opposite, every female has some yang. 
So if you can visualize that symbol that's black and white, that look like two polywogs swimming mm-hmm. in a circle yep. together, there's a little dot of the opposite color on each in side. The, in each one, yep. And so there is always a tiny bit of the opposite in something. Um, and that's where it starts to get a little bit more, you know, you can keep splitting the hair smaller and smaller and smaller. And philosophers have talked about it for hundreds of years. But there's, you know, within every female, there's a smidgen of male. And within yeah. every male, there's a smidgen of female. Um, you, when you think about it, like, um, ladies who are menopausal, they will sometimes give them a little testosterone in their hormone replacement therapy. Just boost them up a little bit, you know. And so that's the yin with that's the yang within the yin. <laughs> as we gotcha. say. And, and so I, I have lady patients who come in and they're like, oh, I've just been dragging my butt around and oh my gosh, I'm really tired. But my doctor gave me a tiny bit of, and I'm, I'm not a big fan of HRT, but um, yeah, but my doctor gave me a tiny little dose of testosterone, you know, and man, I feel like I could just go for days now. <laughs> <laughs> Well, one of the things I I love about you, Gloria, is your ability to, you know, do these consults and come up with um, a formula that is custom made for that horse or that dog um, or that person. So I encourage our listeners, if you've got, you know, some some questions about how you could integrate um, the wisdom of plants and, and mushrooms uh, from traditional oriental medicine. Um, we have Gloria's information on our website and feel free to contact her through her, web, through her website. And um, yeah, I, I can't recommend her enough. So thank you, Gloria. I, I wish I could have you on for a whole hour. <laughs> we'll just have to have you back for part two. Oh, you know, I love talking about herbs and Chinese medicine, and thanks for giving me the opportunity to just spend a little time yakking about things that I care about. So thank you so much. <laughs> thanks for being here. <laughs> everyone's just sitting here going um um everyone here in the room the room being the the room being this podcast everyone on this podcast has brain dead is brain dead has wellington brain right now i'm sorry does does hedwig have wellington brain right now entertain us does does nirvana so yeah does hedwig get uh, Wellington brain does does Wellington fatigue you? No, nothing fatigues me. I sleep less and less. <laughs> I'm I'm glad to hear your siblings are along. That was um yes. Mm-hmm. I'm causing a riot. <laughs> a flu riot. A riot. Okay. Well, we had a we had an important question for you today, Hedwig. Yes, I have answers. I always have answers. Yes, because <laughs> yes, because we enjoy hearing your opinion, and you enjoy giving it giving your opinion. So yes, it's a win win. I do. Yeah. Yes, mm-hmm. you've Ready. probably you've probably heard the phrase. 
um, breakfast. It's the most important meal of the day, which you may or may not Mm -hmm. agree with. But in your opinion, what is the most important meal of the day and why? All the meals are important. (laughs) (laughs) All the meals and all the cookie treats and all the special snacks that are delivered unto me during the day are equally important. My favorite is when the servant makes us eggs, which she only does once a day because she's lazy, lazy, lazy. But she does it either morning or evening, so that is the best meal. Uh Uh-huh. I like eggs. And at night, we get a tiny peanut butter treat on our cookies. Those are delicious. Um, Aussies, you're not listening to any of this because you don't get yeah. that stuff. <laughs> but your dogs are fat. I am not. I can eat anything. <laughs> That's because you don't <laughs> sleep. I know, and neither does anyone else in this household. <laughs> yeah. You can see the servant. She looks like a zombie. <laughs> Hedwig's decided that four o'clock in the morning is a good time to get up. One and four. One and four. And sometimes eleven. Oh, and three. I like three. Yeah, you uh, you would be outside by the pool. (laughs) Not for long, I wouldn't. Well, thanks, Hetty, for your your food recommendations and a, a reminder that every meal counts. Dogs everywhere, tell your humans to put your cookies in peanut butter. Make a little peanut butter sandwich for you tonight. <laughs> Thank you, Hetty. Bye-bye. Thanks, So we are at the breed of the show, part two of the eagle. And for people that weren't part of part one, um, I am for Wellington season staying at a beautiful farm called Eagle Tree Farm, where there is a nesting pair of bald eagles, which has led me down this kind of interesting path of um, understanding what magnificent creatures they are. And this research has led me to Um, more knowledge about the bald eagle, but also understanding management um, of a species, um, which is really quite fascinating. Um, What, what I've learned and I, and which only makes sense when you look into this, but the management of a species is an amazing, it's amazing how one species can affect another species. Um, Um. just researching bald eagles and the golden eagle act and all that has just really opened my eyes to how critical it is about managing habitats. So this in turn, when you manage the habitat where the creature lives, and we're just going to refer to the bald eagle, it in turn manages the species like the bald eagle. For example, um, a single change in irrigation patterns will affect the migratory patterns of waterfowl for example, in the Pacific Northwest. We're going to use this as an example, which is prey for the eagle. So when the, the prey goes away, so does the predator. And so mirrors in option. So decreasing prey decreases, decreases the predator. Um, and this is where humans can seriously affect the habitat. Hence, protection acts of the bald and golden eagle. 
Um, <clears throat> in short, this act provides criminal penalties for a person who takes this. This is just going to be a, a tiny blurb. And I don't know why, I, and not that I find any of it funny, but it's just amazing the efforts that we can go to protect the, the species. But it's just the beginning of it is it, it's for any person or takes or possesses, sells or purchases, barters or offers to sell, purchase or barters, transports, exports, imports at any time, in any manner, alive or dead, any part. It goes on to say, a bunch of other things, but one big thing is that that you you cannot agitate or bother a bald or golden eagle in different fashions. One of which um, is when they're they're nesting, um, which is which is what ended up happening here at this farm um, when they were trying to build the farm. There, the nesting eagles were in a tree, and it was during um, uh, breeding season, so they they had to halt. Um, building, which again is just all and fascinating. Unfortunately, what ended up happening is their tree ended up being hit by lightning. Lightning, I believe it was knocked down, but the the eagles now nest on a neighboring field, which we can still see, which is magnificent. Um, but getting back to the bald eagle act, you there's this beautiful, you know, nest that you can see um, every day. We we get to hear them every day. But if you were to, for example, go underneath that nest and pick up a feather under the nest, you could be fined up to $10,000 and serve possible jail time. And that is all in place to protect the activity of the species. Um, so when, you, when we get back to talking about, um, and that's species management, but talking about management of the habitat is also so important for the heat, the feeding habits of the bald eagles, specifically in South Florida, the wetland provides an abundance of food, for example, ducks or snakes or rabbits, um, which of course they all feed on. As we build out closer to the wetlands, and I'm using Florida as an example, um, we force the prey to a smaller place, which becomes a buffet for the eagles, which in time, um, eventually depletes the prey, which then will eventually deplete the bald eagle. So as I've gone down and done this research, there's so much more that we can talk about all of this. But the biggest thing is, is just any learning about management of habitat and how that affects what we do to any type of species is amazing. And the bald eagle in itself is such an, just in a, every day getting to see these, these magnificent birds that just have these huge wingspans that can be flying behind, you know, someone who's walking on a trail ride and no one hears them. And to think that we could do something as simple as building a field or an arena and that pushing another species out that they can't um, end up, you know, feeding their young and how that affects it is just, an amazing, daunting thing to me. But um, the good news is, is there are certain things like the bald eagle act that can help prevent some of these things that can deplete the bald eagles, but they're no longer extinct, which is a great thing. But I just recommend anybody to just do a little bit of investigation um, into the bald eagle because there's so much stuff that I could even touch on that is so fascinating of this amazing creature that I get to look at every day.
And now we're at Critter Nutrition, and we're going to focus on the spore-based probiotic you've never heard of. (laughs) I think we're about to hear of it. (laughs) This summer, I was introduced to a probiotic strain by a colleague who is a human supplement formulator. He and I share what I would say is a fundamental obsession with the GI tract. He on the human side, me on the animal side. He told me about a specific probiotic strain called Bacillus subtilis. What intrigued me right off the bat is that Bacillus subtilis is a spore-forming bacteria. This is unlike other common probiotic strains like Saccharomyces yeast, Lactobacillus, and Bifidobacterium. Because of the spore form, B. subtilis can survive the harsh gastric environment and reach the small intestine alive. The small intestine is responsible for the digestion of starch, protein, and fat, as well as vitamins and minerals. Most nutrient absorption happens in the small intestine. One of the reasons Biostar's bioflora is micro-encapsulated is to protect the lactobacillus and bifidus microorganisms from being destroyed by the acid in the stomach. But with Bacillus subtilis, it doesn't need any protection. Bacillus subtilis is also known as hay subtilis or grass subtilis. It's found in soils, aquatic environments, and in the GI tract of animals, humans, and marine sponges, which answers some basic questions I've had about SpongeBob SquarePants. B. subtilis is considered a grass organism generally recognized as safe by the FDA. B. subtilis can outcompete pathogens like E. coli and Streptococcus. It can grow in diverse environments and different pH environments within the GI tract, and it can change from spore to vegetative state and sporulate again. It can also germinate in the digestive tract. Research has highlighted the biotherapeutic qualities of bacillus based on its ability to interact with the internal colonies of the host by producing a variety of antimicrobial peptides. B. subtilis has been reported to display antimicrobial, antioxidant, and immune modulation activity in the host. B. subtilis can also increase the susceptibility of certain pathogens to penicillin. This can be helpful since antibiotic resistance by some bacteria strains is increasing. There are several strains of bacillus, including subtilis, that are being studied for their therapeutic effect on metabolic disorders. B. subtilis is yet another piece in the mysterious puzzle that is the gut microbiome. This amazing bacteria survives the harsh environment of the stomach, produces spores capable of crowding out bacterial pathogens, supports other beneficial bacterial colonies, maintains the gut barrier system, reduces the inflammatory response, supports the immune system, and optimizes digestion, which makes this an important probiotic strain for horses and dogs. B. subtilis is only a piece of the complex system that is the GI tract. It isn't the answer by itself, 
but it is, it is an excellent probiotic strain for GI tract and body health. Real horses and real dogs are healthier, perform better, and recover more quickly on real food. That's why BioStar empowers horse and canine owners with 100% whole food nutrition, supplements, and feeding programs. BioStar products are made at their own certified non-GMO facility in Gordonsville, Virginia, using real food ingredients that are raw, freeze-dried, or dehydrated, never cooked, and are free from artificial flavors, colors, soy, corn, wheat, and molasses. The BioStar product line includes a wide range of whole food, horse and dog supplements, treats, and unique artisan poultices that embrace the ancient and traditional uses of clay and plants. Visit BioStarUS.com today and learn about whole foods and canine and equine nutrition so you can make the best decisions about the care and health of your horses and dogs. That's BioStarUS.com. Whole food nutrition the way nature intended. And now we're at Coffee Clatch, and we're going to hear from Jennifer about her horse journey since you've already heard about Patty's and mine. We didn't want to leave Jennifer out. Um, and I'm sure it's fascinating. So Jennifer, <laughs> tell us about your journey. Well, actually is I would say eventing was my first. There you Okay. See? So all three of us. All three of us. And a very mm-hmm. sim a very similar experience in that um I started out riding in more I'm gonna call them traditional, more common English disciplines. I was in 4-H. So did the little, you know, hunter under saddle, hunt seat equitation over fences, blah, blah, blah. But we we had meat auction reject ponies. And saddles that got taken out of dumpsters and the like. So we didn't do real well in Hunter Under Saddle. So I heard of this thing called eventing. And I discovered that eventing, you were judged on, well, you either went fast enough or you didn't. You either knocked down the jump or you didn't. It didn't matter if your pony came from the meat auction. It didn't matter if your saddle had chew marks around the edges from the rats. It didn't matter. So it appealed to me right away. <laughs> and, but then once I got started doing it, of course, just like most eventers, I was totally hooked on the whole run fast, jump high thing. Uh, and that, that was and sort ride of, by yeah. the seat of your pants thing. Yes. Yes. And I was, I was, I grew up riding wild, crazy ponies bareback with a piece of baler twine around their nose. So that suited me just fine. <laughs> yeah, a little bit wild and woolly. Yeah. So so I, too, was an eventer. And I, too, Patty P, competed at yeah. Flora Lee. You did? I did. That's insane. That is insane. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh, I wonder if we competed at the same time. If you heard a girl screaming, it for sure was me. Okay, I didn't really scream, but I was screaming inside. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> I I was a talker on cross country. Yes, I was. I think it, I wow. think it, looking back, I think it was a way to to deal with nerves, but I was definitely mm-hmm. a talker on cross country. Well, 
I mean, I guess it also assures that you'll breathe. <laughs> See, good point. There right? you go. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Girls got to try to stay alive. <laughs> Girls got to try to stay alive. Got it. You, you can't win if you fall off. We, we, that was a common yeah. mantra. Yeah. No. You can't win if you well, fall off. Well, and then they make you get back on in the field and there's no one to help you or boost you up. That's and right. And those yes. all jacked up. Another reason why you go to dressage, you know? Yes. And that's true because back in the day in eventing, if you fell off, you were allowed to get back on and continue yeah. on yep. cross country. Yeah. And everybody rode with their stirrups way shorter than they do now. Yes. <laughs> because there wasn't a whole lot of, you know, oh, shorten stride, find a spot. Count no. Your, you know, no. 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 Get over it the best way you can. <laughs> That's right. It was, yep. There you go. So now you have heard about the equestrian roots of the entire trio here on <laughs> Healthy Critters. Right. <laughs> So, state, I'm just going to give you, we don't do this too often. I am going to give you a quick heads up. Coming up on the next episode of Healthy Critters Radio, we're going to chat with a gentleman about habitat and habitat preservation, what it looks like, how it's done, and why it's done from both, from both perspectives, prey as well as predators. So, it's going to be a lot of fun, and I can't wait. Thanks for listening, everyone, and thanks to our sponsor, Biostar US. You can find them online at biostarus.com. Get the Horse Radio Network phone app on iOS or Android by searching for Horse Radio Network in the App Store. It's free and easy to use. For details about today's show, go to healthycrittersradio.com, where you can find links, photos, and more information about our guests. As always, we love your feedback. Please follow us on Facebook under Healthy Critters Radio. Be sure to visit all the great shows on Horse Radio Network at horseradionetwork.com. Love your dog. Hug your horse. Feed your chickens. Clean your litter box. Dance with your goat. Slither with your snakes. Howl at the moon. Hang with your hamster. Party with your parrot. Waddle with your walrus. Outwit your otter. Cuddle your cows. Rap with your raptor. Go chipping with your chipmunks. Forgive your fox. While hedging your hog. We also recommend that you rack with your raccoon. Gyrate with your giraffe. Meditate with a meerkat. Uber with your orangutan. Facebook with your flamingo. Ponder with your panda. Walk with your wookie. Yawn with your yak. Twitter with your toucan. Go raining with your reindeer. Dropbox your dragon. 